0: head to com slash merch.
1: Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit com slash merch today.
0: And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. It is hard to believe that we have been having in-depth weekly conversations about movies since 2011.
1: So many great conversations over the years about so many great movies. And some stinkers. Well, true. But you know, producing this show week after week requires a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered.
0: Just visit the slash originals. Your purchase is made through our links. Give us a small commission at no extra cost to you, and allow us to keep having these great
1: discussions. In Season 3, we covered even more great adaptations, like The Night of the Hunter, and It Happened One Night, both part of our Couples on the Run series.
0: We talked about No Country for Old
1: Men, the Coen brothers so rarely adapt someone else's work. We had some fun rom-com adaptations like About a Boy, based on the Nick Hornby novel, and Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist, adapted from Rachel Cohn and David Levithan's book.
0: In our terribly and naively named foreign language series, we discussed the brilliant City of God and the Diving Bell and the Butterfly, which I won't ever be able to watch again, ever. But could you read the original memoir? I don't know.
1: Maybe. We had our Richard Dysart series with adaptations like The Day of the Locust and Being There.
0: Plus, we had that fantastic interview with the man himself.
1: <laughs> the one where we had him sit on the floor. Because his chair was so squeaky. <laughs> Good times. We did our first Tom Hanks series with Forrest Gump, adapted from Winston Groom's novel. Plus, Apollo 13, based on Lost Moon by Jim Lovell.
0: And we did another year series looking at films from 1981, including Das Boot, Gallipoli, and Thief all based on
1: books. Listeners can dive deeper into all of these original stories and more at the slash originals. Every book, play, movie, video game, video game. <laughs> you bet. We have talked about some video game adaptations as well. It doesn't matter the source. Just follow the link. Every purchase supports the podcast.
0: Check out the full list at the slash originals and get reading, watching, performing, or playing today. That is, the, that is the subtlety of magic, that you don't even know what happens until it's already happened. It's subtle and beautiful.
1: I think magic is always happening in
0: your house. You live in a house of magic. I do, though. a little bit. A little yeah. bit. Unfortunately, that uh, comes at great cost. Magic yeah. is electromagnetic
1: radiation. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you kind of look like that guy in uh, in RoboCop. Yeah, we're all very pasty. Toxic waste. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh,
0: how are you doing, Andrew?
1: I'm fantabulous. Are ya? yeah,
0: I love hearing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's uh, Andy Nelson over there. I'm Pete Wright. This is the next reel. Thank you so much, everybody, for hanging out with us talking movies. Um, we're doing. Uh, what are we going to be talking about later? We're doing uh, Couples on the Run. That's
1: right. We're. This is the start of our our bar, of our Couples on the Run series this year. We had so many that we're we're going to make it maybe an annual thing, or at least it'll go on for a little while. We, we certainly have we, enough movies for it. We certainly do. Yes, we do.
0: Because it turns out if they're not heist movies or magic movies, every other movie is a couples on the run movie.
1: That's right. Every there one are, of them. There are a lot of couples who spend time running, running. in films. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, so we're, we're going to be talking about uh, the fantastic Midnight Run uh, Absolutely. in just a few minutes. Very excited to talk about that film. Uh, in the meantime, do we have any announcements? I don't think we have any announcements, but we do have trailers. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go first. Why don't you? So this trailer actually hit a couple of weeks ago, um, but uh, it's it's one that I, I I've been uh, at odds with for a while. I don't know if I'm excited about it or if I uh, if I'm not excited about it. This is the the first of uh, what I'm assumed to be many Steve Jobs movies. Jobs, starring Ashton Kutcher as Steve Jobs, written by Matt Whiteley, directed by Joshua Michael Stern. And you, uh, think, no, you just
1: go ahead. You think it will be the first of many?
0: Well, I know it's the first of at least two. Wow. Uh, yeah, yeah. Aaron Sorkin is writing uh, another another one. He's the they got the rights to the um, to the Jobs biography, um, and uh, and so they've got Aaron Sorkin writing that.
1: Ah. so
0: that you know that one is the one that that you know it got a lot more press aaron sorkin got got a lot more press than than this one initially i think they you know they they got a lot of um it got a lot of momentum because of ashton kutcher for a little bit and then it kind of went away and we weren't really hearing much of it people saw him and thought well no he doesn't look like jobs he's kind of awkward or oh my gosh he looks exactly like jobs but he acts all weird and so this is the first trailer that that hit and now that it's sort of settled on me. You know, I th- I think I'm more excited about this movie than I was. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're taking on a really large part of his life. Uh, in this movie, I mean, they're taking from sort of the beginning to the end. I think at least it looks like, and it sure does. And uh, I, I wonder. I mean, I've what I've heard is the other Jobs movie. They're taking a much finer kind of piece of, of view of his life. It's not an entire biopic. It's a, it's more of a snapshot. And so it'll be interesting to see how they handle this. I think the trailer portrays, a, a, you know, more of Kucher as Jobs, and and um, y- you know, I. I think he does a pretty good job. Uh, but I, I feel like it's really the jury's out. It's hard to, to get a real vision for what he's what he brings to this character with in these clips. So
1: I think you know, I think he looks great in it. I am going to uh have a hard time um, not comparing it with the uh the Pirates of Silicon Valley that came out, the TV movie that came out in right. the late nineties with uh Noah Wiley playing Steve Jobs. Um, I just, I really was fond of that. I thought that was a great story of the two uh, competitors, um, Steve Jobs and um, Bill Gates and Anthony Michael Hall playing Bill Gates. I just loved that pairing. I loved how they played it. I really enjoyed that story. And I thought Noah Wiley did a great job. I think, I think, uh, I think Kutcher looks good in the film and I think he could pull it off. It's, it's always, you know, it's kind of, tough to judge by the trailer, but, you know, I'm excited to see it. I I think it'll be uh, uh, an interesting story, albeit one that's uh, been told before and is going to be told again.
0: Yeah, you know, it's a a funny thing. This could be that role for for Ashton Kutcher, right? The one that hits, I mean, he's a, right now he's a pitch man, and uh, I, 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 you know, I think some of his movies are funny. Um, But he's not one that I've uh, historically taken very seriously
1: no he's just he's kind of a, a celebrity who appears in movies <laughs> yeah celebrity like for him.
0: celebrity's sake and i i yeah. would be very interesting to see if if this is the film you know that takes him to that next level yeah, yeah. all right your turn
1: yeah, i'm excited but, about your movie i i'm very excited we haven't talked about this uh since the trailer uh, they the trailer came out of you know a month or two ago actually um, and we just haven't talked about it yet, but uh, the movie comes out in September and it's Riddick. It's the next in the, the Chronicles of Riddick. I guess you can't even say that now since the second movie was called the Chronicles of Riddick, but it's in in this Riddick, I guess now a trilogy of uh, pitch black Chronicles of Riddick and now just Riddick directed by David Twohy and the story of, of Riddick, this interesting character that Vin Diesel plays and, and uh I really enjoy the first two films. I There's something really fascinating about this world that Tuohee's created and this character of Riddick that uh, Diesel plays. I have so much watching the films. The second film isn't as good as the first movie. It has a lot of problems. But he expanded the universe so drastically in the second film that I give him a lot of credit for that. And even with its problems, I have just a lot of fun watching that second film. This film looks a a little more like he's going back toward what he had in the first film. It looks a little more uh, of a smaller story with Riddick and a group of people trying to catch him and uh, just kind of focusing on that story as then they, they all end up having to work together to, you know, prevent themselves from getting eaten by, I don't know what sort of lizard creatures that are, are crawling out of the ground. But, uh, Looks like it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm very much looking forward to it, and it opens in September.
0: I am also very excited about this one. This is an interesting one. I did you see? Um, have you seen any of the other Riddick uh, properties? Uh, Dark Fury. Uh, have you? Uh, which was I've the seen, anime? Y-
1: yep, yeah, I've seen Dark Fury. That's a, a nice little one too. That was
0: a nice little one, and and the games too. I think are it, you know one of the things I like so much about the Riddick kind of universe is the is how tightly that's all you know all of these different properties are tied into one another. I think all three movies. I think. Stand really well together I, you're right about the second one I had problems with that one too but but overall um, you know I just this is an anti-hero I really love uh, yeah. this character of Riddick and I think Vin Diesel does a great job in this film I think he's, or in these films I, I have just so much fun uh, watching these movies they're, they're great escapist media
1: they are. They're a lot of fun, and it's yeah. also nice to see Katie Sackoff, uh, from Battlestar Galactica, yeah, right? the most recent show, popping up in the movie. So you know, it's just going to be a lot of fun. I mean, they're they're violent. They're just kind of crass, fun sci-fi, and I really have fun watching them.
0: I love it that the that his you know his like his superpowers that he can see in the dark. Like yeah. r- how how innocuous is that? And yet he's terrifying.
1: That's right. Uh, Riddick. You think they could just like flip up his glasses and blind him when they're out in the sunlight. Yeah. And yet he's Riddick. That's right. Yeah.
0: Very so. much looking forward to those two movies. it's been a, been a little while since we've uh since they've been out, but they're they're worth checking out. I
1: think uh gonna be good good films. Definitely.
0: And now uh we should uh we should jump into uh, Midnight Run, eh?
1: Uh yeah, let's do it. Do you need to go through any of the uh where people find us stuff? I yeah, probably do, huh? I can't remember. <laughs>
0: well I didn't this time so let's just say before we start talking about midnight run um, uh, head over to the and you can find all of our past episodes you can subscribe to the show it'll take you either over to iTunes where you can subscribe for free and leave us nice comments and many of five uh, many reviews of five stars uh, would be very helpful to us we thank you very much for those uh, or you can subscribe on your other device the RSS feeds available on the website uh, let's see what else uh, you can catch up with all of our film board episodes over there um, as well. Uh, our monthly film board, uh, special event episodes. We have one coming up. We need to talk about. Have we picked that one yet?
1: I don't think uh, it's uh... still a secret.
0: It's still <laughs> a big secret. That's what we're going to say. It's a secret. The next <laughs> secret uh, film board event is, is coming soon. So stay tuned for that.
1: That's, that's right. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about our movie.
0: We're talking about uh, uh midnight run.
1: Yes, we are
0: uh this is uh the uh fantastic uh, Robert De Niro and Charles Grodin in uh this is 19 uh action comedy film from Martin Brest uh, and uh what do we what do we think of this it's a it's an action comedy a 1980s action comedy and I man wonder...
1: it has all the trappings of a 1980s
0: action comedy
1: it does but uh but it 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 handles it better than i think some of the others did Re- i want to read really? this line <laughs> before we get get into it this is from um uh the box office magazine's uh, review of midnight run and this is just one paragraph that uh <laughs> i can't i can't wait I to think, hear this i think says it all another totally swell action comedy <laughs> <laughs> From the director of Beverly Hills Cop, Midnight Run holds among its litany of virtues, a dexterous mixture of raillery and ruckus, a pitilessly propulsive maximum overdrive road story, and the most inspired odd couple casting since Dan Aykroyd's Joe Friday teamed with Tom Hanks's Pep Street back in last year's Dragnet. <laughs> <laughs>
0: really really
1: so we should talk about this dexterous mix of raillery and ruckus
0: (laughs) yeah i were you moved to the to that level of of uh fanaticism
1: i do think it is a totally swell action comedy it it, it (laughs) is
0: i think that that paragraph really sort of sells it well in the beginning and at the end it's comes off the rails a little bit (laughs) It is. Okay. This is a swell action comedy. I uh, I think it is totally swell. swell. You totally. know what this. You know what this movie is. Uh, this strikes me uh, about this movie. This what? is a. This is a movie that celebrates uh, the supporting cast. You know what yeah. I mean? Like I, the best. Yeah. The best lines. The most interesting. Uh, the the most interesting comedy. I mean it. It uh, to, for me the real highlights in this movie are uh, Charles Grodin and Joe Pundelliano. I mean, those are the guys that are—they're the funniest. They're the most interesting when they come on screen. For some reason, when 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 Eddie Moscone, uh, Joe pentaleano's Pantoliano, uh, character Eddie Moscone starts screaming into the phone, I'm laughing. It doesn't even matter what he says. Charles Grodin is uh, absolutely fantastically uh, uh, soft-spoken, uh, sarcastic, uh, and uh, is just a wonderful character. Robert De Niro just doesn't should not have done this film what you're yeah. kidding me. no i'm not kidding you i think he's terrible in this film he's terrible oh, I, my dennis farina, I think he's there so is... great in this film now, i love him in the movie he is so lucky to be surrounded by people like charles groden yafit Koto, uh Panfiano, dennis farina i i think they all uh uh pull it off uh at uh, in spite of robert de niro Wow, that's i know I didn't,
1: I didn't expect, are you kidding? I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be that guy. I didn't either. I really like him. (laughs) I think you're wrong. (laughs) Wow. I love him in this movie. I think think he plays it really well as this gruff guy who, who is dealing with, uh, you know, a frustrating uh, situation from his past and and is disgruntled. And I, I really like how he plays off of Charles Grodin. I think they work really well together.
0: I thought I I thought I would agree with you. I and in <laughs> fact when we decided to do this movie as part of this series I thought well this was I this is one of those things I totally remember this movie as a uh, a really uh fantastic uh couple on the run buddy movie uh you know uh, uh Robert we should talk about the story. You want to do, do just do a little backstory because for people who haven't seen this movie in a long time what is it about?
1: Uh Robert De Niro plays Jack Walsh a a cop who uh, a former cop who has now become a bounty hunter. Uh, he needs to find a, and return a former mob accountant, Jonathan the Duke, Mardukas, played by Charles Grodin, who uh, embezzled $15 million from the mob, represented by Dennis Farina, playing uh, Jimmy Serrano. So Jack Walsh finds the Duke and starts bringing him back, although due to the fact that the Duke won't fly, he has to travel across the country, and he has to get him there by the end of the week. He's in uh, being pursued by a, uh, a, um, a rival bounty hunter uh, played by John Ashton. Fantastic. Uh, he's Marvin Dorfler in the movie, um, and he was in Beverly Hills Cop. He's also pursued by a very persistent FBI agent, uh, Alonzo Mosley, played by Yafit Kota, who's just great in this movie as well. And he has to try to beat them to get the Duke across the country. And that's essentially the long and the short of the story.
0: Right. It's not a, not a, uh, a terribly complicated story. I think to, to its service, uh, the, the film tells a simple story of these two guys running across the the country. Uh, they have to get there, you know, the, the ticking clock is the bail and, um, it's, uh, you know, it's a good, it's a simple story that's funny in most places and, and, uh, everybody except De Niro really pulls it off. That's uh, my, that's my pitch
1: on this movie. I, w- I want to talk to the 1988 Pete who liked it. You totally <laughs> who should. Who likes De Niro. You
0: should talk. No, no, no. Now don't, don't go. Uh, Andy?
1: You totally thought you liked it. You remembered it that way. I want to talk to that Pete. It's, Where no, is that Pete? Can say, he come out. no, and play? he's not here.
0: Stop it. <laughs>
1: the, he's not
0: coming out. I won't. Laugh. No, Andy. The thing is, the, the, the here's the thing. I think what we got with De Niro in this film is uh, Untouchables. De Niro trying to be funny. That's what I think we got, and that's what he... I mean, he's just coming off this movie. So, look at that. Did you see in the little uh, trivia bit here in your... Uh, did you uncover in your exhaustive research on this film, De Niro was actually going for, for Tom Hanks' character in Big? I that saw that. Big uh, could I, have
1: been De Niro? That would have been... Talk about that, shaking that your fragile worldview. <laughs> yes.
0: That would that have been would terrible. Have
1: really, really been a problem for me. Oh, my goodness. I want to
0: talk to the 1988 Andy who could have ended up with a big with uh, Robert <laughs> oh. De Niro. I mean, you could end up... It could be right now. You could have Robert De Niro boasters
1: all over your man cave instead of Tom Hanks. <laughs> I'm like, I know, I know you do. Oh. I, Can you imagine Robert De Niro doing, in the piano scene? <laughs> <laughs> I just see that
0: stomping up and down on the black keys. Uh,
1: jumping up and down on the trampoline. Yeah, exactly. Oh my!
0: Right, and and that's what I feel like we got. I think this is the that's that's what we ended up with. I think he was it it was a uh, a stiff. Now, I I also think that that part of the um, I don't know. Maybe he could be this this performance could put him in the two by four club with uh, you know my, my other favorite. Wow, I um. I think where where that really serves serves him well, sort of at his expense, is uh, Groden's um, portrayal of, uh, portrayal of the Duke as this guy who cannot help but befriend everybody, like he can't help it. He's just a guy who who gets to know people. And he's just this sort of magnetic, uh, like he's just drawn to people. And here he is being dragged across the country and uh, uh, and still, you, you know, you see these little bits where he just, he won't take the opportunity to run away. He just comes along and does his thing and they, he inspires these great little conversations in spite of De Niro's uh, woodenness uh he ends up uh, i think pulling off a great
1: performance. Wow.
0: I'm sorry. I'm I can't I can't I own it. I'm I'm sorry.
1: That's okay. I right. uh, I'll forgive you. I'll forgive you. Uh, well, Charles Groden. Let's talk about him. Can we? I think we're done talking about De Niro. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Charles Groden. I really miss seeing Charles Groden like he's kind of in the he's kind of retired from acting. Yeah. Yeah, he uh, he had a talk show because I, I this character, this this way that he does this yeah. kind of um this this article I found it says he's trademark mixture of confusion, condescension and fussiness. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. that that kind of describes him well. There's something about him that I find so fascinating to watch. I I love seeing Charles Grodin, And I didn't realize that he had even retired. I guess I just haven't been paying attention to the fact that he's not around, but it, I found myself as I watched this, I'm like, man, I wish he was in more films because he is just great in this.
0: Yes. Yeah. Oh, he's terrific. Yeah. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I think he, he went off and, and did a talk show, uh, for a while. And
1: yeah, it was it just, like a news anchor yeah, on like 60 a, minutes yeah, two a for a while. I mean, yeah. I mean, pretty interesting. And I think now he just kind of wants to raise his kids. And actually there's been talk about a midnight run too. um, with that De Niro has been uh, kind of pushing with, um, I can't remember the guy's name. Let me see if I can find it here. The guy who wrote, um, uh, what's his name? Dowling. Uh, Tim, Tom, Tim, Tim Tim Dowling. Dowling. Tim Dowling. They hired him to write the uh, sequel to it where it would be, you know, Robert De Niro would be reprising his role, and Charles Grodin's son would be somehow involved, or his character's son. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, but uh, Tim Dowling wrote "Role Models" and just go with it. So I don't know if that bodes well. I gotta say, I think they should just drop the whole idea. Right. Well, I
0: mean, they've tried, and the the uh, you know the TV this this the the film has already been uh, sort of had had a uh, a triple play follow up on uh, with Direct TV. Uh, specials another midnight run midnight run around and the epic uh finale midnight run for your life <laughs> uh and i you know i'm not i i i haven't seen any of them um none the, none of the major uh, n- none of the actors were in them but the characters were uh in them right uh in those films so it, you know it's uh, dan hidea
1: was yeah, dan Hedea uh, you know
0: it, you so, know, it yeah, just didn't, I mean, it's didn't take up.
1: George Gallo wrote the script for this. And I think this is an incredibly smart script, especially for this type of film, this kind of buddy, uh, you know, couples on the run story, yeah. you know, part of this series. Uh, there's a lot of these out there and they're not all done with this much level of kind of uh, focus on the characters. And I think you know, what you said, that the supporting characters, uh, you know, Charles Grodin, Robert De Niro... I think all of the characters, I and I shouldn't say Grodin and De Niro, I should say Walsh and the Duke, all of them are written really well. And you have moments like, you know, the big, you know, chase through the desert, but you also have this, I find, incredibly touching moment where Walsh goes back to his ex-wife's house because they're broke and they need some money so that they can, you know, keep on this trip. <laughs> And he ends up having this really touching scene with his his daughter that he's kind of had to abandon right. years ago because of this uh, ordeal that he got into with with dirty cops um, back in the day. And I, you know, that moment was it was heartbreaking when his daughter comes out and is trying to give him all of her allowance for a little bit of money to help him, even though he they haven't seen each other in nine years. I mean, it was heartbreaking. You know, that sort of moment you don't have in a typical couples on the run sort of film. If Michael Bay had been making a couples on the run film, you're not going to have that. They would have cut that out and put in an extra car chase or something.
0: Right. You know, which is interesting that uh, that Gala would go on to do, you know, to to work on the bad boys movies and. You, you know i i think you i i think you're right and i you know I'm not to belabor de niro, but when you look at those those scenes like the scene with his daughter and and frankly the the uh the closing scene in the airport when um uh when, uh, uh, when Groden hands over the uh the uh, travel money mm-hmm. uh you you his have gift. this right. his gift right right not a payoff it's a gift it's uh you know those are sequences that i I'm sitting there watching them and thinking I bet Andy is crying right now <laughs> i'll bet these movies this is like a man this is like man drama that brings andy to tears <laughs> right am i right like uh, those, when those guys uh, look I wasn't at each other. quite there
1: this is
0: this is one of those things and and some of the reviews that i ended up uh, uh that i that i read uh, you know kind of held up those scenes as you know they they were as you say they were the uh the kind of special bits the nuggets the the uh, in this film that um that really set it apart from a from a sep- from from a typical you know movie like this uh and uh and that in particular those move those moments are well earned by the rest of the uh of the film by the rest of the caper um and and i'm not sure i agree with that um you know i think the the Third act, when you start seeing the overkill of cop cars, you know, when when the chase becomes uh, cannonball run, mm-hmm. uh, it it ends up getting a little bit out of hand, and and maybe it's it's this is history or you know recent history talking, you know, when you see the the sort of more sophisticated action films that that um, that attempt to take more of a realistic kind of protocol approach to uh, right. law enforcement, that it, it ends up looking just downright goofy. Uh, and and I I admit it I have a hard time uh, watching it doesn't it 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 sets off the action as, as more dated um you know and and I wonder what it would um, you know what it would look like how you would take this film this script and make kind of a a much more kind of approachable and realistic um you know movie would it still hold up if it didn't have that I mean do you, what do you think was the was was that sort of um caricature of uh law enforcement and the chase uh something that added to the film or were you did you find yourself distracted to by it as well
1: you know i i wasn't distracted by it i mean it's definitely there it's definitely obvious it you know i i picture the big chase at the end of uh the blues brothers where it's just yeah. cop cars literally falling from the sky there are so many cop cars and that whole level of of comedy in the chase i it definitely feels dated to me but it doesn't bother me i guess i just kind of went along with it as far as the period and everything i you know honestly i'm trying to remember if i've seen a recent comedy because the what you were comparing with is modern the more action the serious action films right right that but i'm trying to think of a modern kind of a comedy that has those chases in it and honestly i can't think of one um, I mean I'm sure there's one out there and I'm just not thinking of it but it has a big chase like that
0: what's your, what's your memory of Beverly Hills Cop 1984 this is the film that uh, Martin Brest had done just immediately before Midnight Run what's your memory of the, the kind of uh, uh, police action in this film
1: you know I mean it was um, that film always kind of stuck out for me as playing the line between kind of trying to be serious cop stuff and then also having a lot of the the kind of this sort of comedy, this same sort of comedy, over the top, uh, not quite believable, but we want to get the laughs out sort of comedy. And I don't know. I, I guess it's never bothered me. It just kind of seemed to. F- become that the part of the genre part yeah. of that action comedy yeah. genre just or subgenre with
0: what you expect. I I remember I you're right. I mean I I remember it kind of walking that line too. I don't remember that the kind of volume of goofiness in that movie and and I I think this one sort of is it, the Midnight Run ends up being kind of Beverly Hills cop with its hair all let down, you know? I mean it it just sort of lets it go. But I don't think it holds up to your comparison of the Blues Brothers, which I think m- took more ownership of the goofiness just by the no well the sort of caricature that, of the main character point of that film right it was i I was only
1: comparing it in the sense that you know uh it had that you know a lot of more cop cars than it should have but see (laughs) that's
0: that's my point that uh uh, what what we get with the blues brothers is a is an a movie that absolutely understands its identity uh and what we get in midnight run is a movie that that um uh, that sometimes forgets
1: See, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I mean, I guess I can agree with you, but because of the nature of it being an action comedy, they, they, you're going to have to have that stuff in the chase scene in order to kind of keep the comedy side of that going. I think if it was just a straight up serious chase scene, all of a sudden the tone of the film is going to be shifting too drastically and you're going to lose the, uh, that sense of fun and it's going to feel disjointed.
0: I, no, I totally disagree with that. I mean, there were, there, there there are, I, I mean, there were moments that are head slappingly just out of context. And there were other moments that I find, you know, amusing, you know, when, when the, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, the, uh, other bounty hunter, uh, Marvin? John John Ashton Marvin Dorfler, yeah, Ashton. you know the the scenes with Marvin Dorfler in the in the the their sort of mini chase on top of the larger scale chase, uh, I think is is particularly funny. I think you know Dennis Farina and his goons, uh, you know the the Serrano goon squad are are particularly funny. I think you look at the contrast that you get with all of the goons in the goon squad, and Philip Baker Hall, uh, who is You know, he's he ends up being this little tiny component of the mob as this straight man, and I think they just the whole sort of uh um the the whole sort of mob ecosystem that they build in this movie works really really well. Um, it, It just becomes when you know it becomes a circus uh I I lose track of what credibility the film builds in the first two acts in in humor that they already established that they can deliver it's a smart script it's it's you know uh, otherwise well architected and then it just comes just like I said it comes off the rails for me
1: um okay I I mean I can totally see your point I I can totally see your point I guess for me it's just it's never it's, it's never really bothered me and yeah. I've uh, I've always kind of you know went along with it <clears throat> excuse me and I think it's uh uh not as big a problem. Um, I don't know. I well, mean, you're, you're, maybe you're, okay, for some so people you're, you're it does your... feel a little mis- more disjointed, All right. All but right. for me it just it just feels like it's part of the flow of the whole thing. So right. I, I kind right. of get the vibe the whole time, so it doesn't bother
0: me. All right. No, you got the vibe. That's for uh, sure. Right Here's I the did. thing. So you teach uh, you teach this screenwriting gig, right? That's what I you, do. You do. So you get a student who comes in. You've never seen Midnight Run, and they hand you. The script, Midnight Run. A young, you know what I'm saying. A young George Gallo hands you the script, and you read it. What do you? What grade are you going to give it when you get to that third act and you you read the whole thing? Just reading the script. You don't see it. You don't know the actors. What are you going to say?
1: Jeez, oh, that's you know, I, I I would like it. I mean, the elements of the the story that are that work? I mean, the com. The here's the thing: is like that big chase scene. That's going to be harder to put on the page anyway. And a lot of that was probably coordinated with the stunt team yeah. trying to figure out this elaborate thing. So you're not going to see that on the page so much. So, uh, so I can just <laughs> discount it. <like laughs> you can just, that's right. Go. You just got out of a but very
0: difficult part of the question.
1: I, I know. I'm eluding you. Yeah. The thing that I would be attracted to in this script is this balance between the the typical genre story that we're having with this action comedy and this couple on the run trying to get away from everybody as they cross the country, uh, along with the character moments that you wouldn't normally see in a film like this. And I really enjoy the character moments all the way through. And I think that the dialogue, regardless of what you think of the actors, I think the dialogue that's written for all the characters Is really clever. I think it works really well in context for each of the characters And I feel that the relationships that develop over the course of the film are natural and make sense and And are original and because of that I would probably give it a good grade. I I think that it it makes a lot of uh, the, The whole thing makes a lot of sense to me and the way that it works. It just feels fresh and even still, I watch it again, mm-hmm. and it's funny because I, I hadn't watched it in quite a long time, and I was actually perhaps a little more reticent to watch it than you because I think, in my mind, I had put it in that camp where it was much better than it probably was, mm-hmm. but then when I watched it again, I, I felt actually, again, like it was it was a pretty fresh script. I really enjoyed the story. I didn't find anything uh, really lacking, and... I felt that I really connected to the characters and the relationship between Walsh and the Duke really worked for me. And all of the moments between them, all the way through the script, show a very fascinating relationship developing between this character who's this this, you know, stubborn by the books bounty hunter and by the books cop, who really got screwed over when he was working back in Chicago, and this criminal who really <laughs> is in the wrong line of work. He should never have been working for the mob in the first place because he's too good of a guy, and he only embezzled funds so he could donate it to charity. And you get those two characters together, and you can see how this criminal ends up, in a way, transforming this cop into actually becoming, uh, you know, kind of a better person and, and opening up and all of that. And I, I really enjoyed the characters in this story.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I I appreciate hearing that because and I and I think you're right there there is a lot that we uh, we need to hand over to Martin Brest the Martin Brest special uh which is just throw more car, cop cars at any given scene. <laughs> uh but but I think one of the things that he does uh, it, it, that he ends up doing exceptionally well in this film is really le- leveraging the the um the growing uh bond between these two characters of uh you know uh walsh and the duke and and uh, i think that plays really well on the page and and on screen and these characters so these actors really bring that that to life the other scene that i i don't want to let us uh kind of uh let go of is the the train scene uh when they start talking about whether or not they could ever be friends yeah which i think is a real highlight of the film and uh they um uh, they end up talking about you know could, could they be friends another life um and uh, uh, it, it, you know, as it, it comes past, it ended up being a scene that was almost entirely uh, improvised, not even on the page. And I, I think shows uh, there is such rich material uh, in the bond of these two characters that when you when you get these two actors in that box car, they're they're really able to bring that that to life in an, in a uh, like you said in a very special kind of an original way.
1: And not only that, but. The thing that I like about these characters and the way that the actors portrayed the characters is they're intelligent characters. You don't have uh, any I, either of them as kind of this run-of-the-mill typical ex-cop right. who's just a bully. Right. There actually feels like, and I, maybe it's just me, but it feels like there's a level of intelligence betwi- behind the things that Walsh is thinking and the way that he works. And his backstory I find very interesting with the the whole dirty cops and everything. Likewise with the Duke, he's just he he's a smart guy, and and Charles Grodin even talked about how so many films that he had done before this he was never allowed to, uh, they were all of his the characters were what he says a little below where my t- intelligence is. Uh, but I could make Jonathan Mardukas as intelligent as I could be. There wasn't any lid on this character, and often there in the characters I play. He's a very resourceful, bright guy. And the question became, am I as smart as him instead yeah. of do I have to cut off part of my intelligence to play him? And I think that really shines through. You, you get real intelligence and just fascinating conversation coming from these two because it is clearly two intelligent men like the scene on the train where well and i'm thinking of the box car or the the dining car where he's he's talking to him about his wife and and there's just seems like there's some there's real empathy between them even if even if de niro is a bounty hunter taking him in
0: yeah, I, you know, and I think to that to De Niro's credit, uh, as well is it is, is you know being able to play this character that is you know it's a, a a comic character but not a you know it's a comic movie but not a comic character, and there are some you know you get some of these um, kind of sla- more slapstick moments the first scene you know when he he drops the lockpick and dodges a shotgun blast through the door yeah. you know I mean those kinds of things happen in this film because it's that kind of film and yet you know that we have these uh hooks these these more sort of emotional hooks to grab onto uh that kind of get us through the movie the the dining car the the um, you know over the fire in the box car the uh, all the way to the to the closing scene which i think again is is a
1: real highlight yeah
0: okay uh the uh f word is used exactly 119 times
1: is it really in this film? Yeah. I hadn't found the count, but it certainly yeah. is uh is uh, prolific. That prolific? it feels it actually Refuse. feels
0: <laughs> profane. Uh <laughs> it is uh it is a lot. And and uh I found that and you know, I'm I I know I I know how to swear. I do it with great uh I, I, I do it a lot. I I don't have a great vocabulary anyway and so sometimes i just fill in the blanks with with profanity and yet even i found that uh the the uh i i found the swearing distracting in this movie uh, see it didn't right. bother me see it didn't bother you what is it with you you're just a, you're just numb to the world man i guess i am throw another song <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, yeah. uh no I I uh, I found it a little bit distracting and and out of character for m- most of the characters uh, I I felt like there were I I think uh, um Pantoliano and absolutely Farina pull it off but there is so much swearing in the film that that uh so much of of the F word in particular that it becomes a a joke in itself. And I don't know if it was... I, I can't figure out if it was some sort of a cultural statement, if he was trying to make a point with it, because it, it started feeling like a blunt instrument. Um, yeah. That's how it hit me.
1: And when you say the F word, you're not referring to fistophobia.
0: <laughs> no, isn't that... I'm sure a new that's
1: word I, that we get in this film. <laughs>
0: I assumed that was a PH.
1: Oh, okay. <laughs> Fistophobia. Fistophobia. <laughs> <laughs> uh
0: okay. So uh what else do we what else do we love about this movie? Let's see. Uh hang on, I gotta get back
1: to my uh, I love, production list. I love the score for this film.
0: Oh, I'm so this, glad you brought that up. Danny Elfman.
1: Danny Elfman did such a great job with the music in this film. It's got this great kind of uh you know just driving energy. It also has this theme that is really kind of just the kind of melancholy and pensive. And it really gives you a sense as to who Walsh is. This kind of this, you know, bounty hunter. Who's just unhappy with the line of work that he's stuck in because of the, all this stuff that happened and that melancholy, uh, tune that we hear right at the start of the film really brings that home and then just the driving energy that takes over from there I think is just is is just such a great great uh just melody to to see us through the film and I mean this is one of the early pieces that uh that Danny Elfman did when he started composing I think it's within the first couple of years if I'm not mistaken um and I think that he really knocked it out of the park
0: I um I agree with you. I found it, uh, you know, I like it. It was uh, very much of the time, um, it, you know, it felt uh, sort of contemporary to um other movies of the time. I found it, uh, uh, you know, I I guess I I expect more Oingo Boingo and less Eric Clapton. And in this, in particular, uh, this this film, I found. Highly derivative score. Uh, the de- score was highly derivative of of you know Lethal Weapon, um, and uh, that doesn't mean it was bad. Uh, I I like it as well, and I I think the the what you bring up I think is is you know is right on. It, it's a it's a a good s- score. Uh, I just there's so much originality in in Danny Elfman's work, and I I I think what we're seeing here is is you know going back to where he started. Um, you know, as a, as a, um, uh, you know, writing scores, uh, I, I think he's, um, uh, you know, we get to see kind of where he was, he was still a little bit shaky and finding his own, uh, finding his groove.
1: Well, but you listen to his variety of music that he's written over mm-hmm. the years. But he hasn't
0: written many of these. Like you listen to the other movies that he's done and this movie kind of stands out.
1: Well, it it stands. It's not a wacky, crazy Danny Elfman, but it definitely has. it, It definitely has kind of a little bit. It has some of the fun, and I can see where you're going with the Eric Clapton comparison. That really actually makes a lot of sense. Because I think uh, Lethal Weapon came out the year before. It Came out the year before, I I, uh,
0: though. And and you know I'm sitting here, I you know as I say that, I you know obviously you know the movies, the the production of the movies kind of overlap. I'm not in any way saying that that no, know, no, Elf, no, I know, I know. was trying but it, to it, be. It, it
1: probably had a contemporary vibe of yeah, the time. Yeah. Uh, but I, you know I don't know. I find it just really fun and it very easy to listen to, and it just amps me up when I hear it. So so I love it.
0: No, I, I you know I totally agree. I you know what's interesting about Danny Elfman. So he did um, Midnight Run was nineteen eight It was a big big year for nineteen eighty eight. Was a big year for him. And just look at the other movies that Danny Elfman did it, just that year alone: Beetlejuice, Midnight Run, Big Top Pee Wee, Hot to Trot, and Scrooged. Yeah. Right. Just nineteen eighty eight. A lot of stuff. a, lot of, That's good a stuff. lot of stuff. And Midnight Run is it, it's this is the one of these things is not like the other
1: uh you know hot, hot to trot i think is closer to midnight run than the other three you think but i as think as the, the other call, three end up hot being to trot in quite a while but
0: far more um uh, uh sort of um of the of the genetic uh of the danny elfman sort of musical gene uh, uh that we get into the 90s when we get into batman nightbreed dick tracy um you know obviously the tim burton partnership Right. And uh and you know, Army of Darkness.
1: Uh, well, that's right, he did the March of the Dead.
0: But this guy, he's done oh, an awful lot of uh awful lot of movies. He I has. I you know, I haven't heard I, I actually there are some that I haven't uh uh haven't heard, although you just uh saw uh uh Silverlining's playbook. Mm-hmm. A couple of Elfman cuts on there. Yes, I liked them. They were very good. Had you have you heard Hitchcock?
1: I have not heard Hitchcock. Hmm.
0: In any case, he's, uh, yeah, yeah, he's that's, good. That's where he's we go. He's good. It was good. He did. It, he
1: did real steel did, for Pete's sake. He did exactly. Great score.
0: Great. It was a great score. That's the truth. Yeah. Uh. All right. Most of uh, even the movies that suck that he was on, he he actually he's he's a credit in most
1: cases he he is one of those composers that can uh can be the one glowing ember yeah. in a pile of rubble as yeah. far as a bad film well that's the truth
0: All right uh let's see back I I now I got to go back I got to hit the back button we got to get back to the thing so now we're talking about uh uh, uh let's see what do we know about the cinematography and the editing of these guys? I don't know who this... I've never heard of this Donald Thorin. What has Donald Thorin uh, done
1: Donald for me lately? Donald Thorin. I don't know who he is either, actually.
0: Uh, it, he's... Um... Oh, no. We might have to edit this. <laughs> Why? Because <laughs> he's done everything. He's done movies we like. Uh,
1: well, he's definitely continued to work... Working with Martin Brest instead of a woman. (laughs) That's right,
0: and you know, I know one of our one of our uh, favorites, uh, Tango and Cash.
1: Dudley Do Right. Ace Ventura
0: and Nature Calls. Yep. Yeah.
1: Little Big League. No,
0: he's he's uh, he did Shaft.
1: Purple Rain. Go.
0: Don't even talk to me about Purple Rain. It's my favorite movie of all time.
1: I don't doubt that. Yeah, so he is a prolific uh, a DP. Who I've never, I can't even. That's a name
0: is, I've never, uh, never put with movies.
1: It looks like he has retired as of two thousand three, but his two sons are also cameramen. Mm. So there you go. Right.
0: No, thanks, the I, editor was... on
1: the film was uh, Chris Le- LeBenson, who uh, we've talked about before. He edited uh, Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. Right. Um, he's actually edited every Tim Burton film since 1991. So he is another Tim Burton Don, latches on people. That's Don Thorne Jr. Is that what you're talking about there? No. Now I switch to Chris Levinson.
0: Oh, Chris Levinson. See, here's the thing though, about this film in particular. And I think why uh, I would not associate any of these names with this movie, because I found otherwise the uh, the, it, the the in general, the cinematography and editing was, was ended up being pretty safe.
1: I didn't find yeah, anything. Yeah, I mean, there was it nothing was, too was crazy nothing about crazy. it. But, you know, it's an action comedy. You're yeah. not looking for something that really stands out or anything, you know?
0: I do know. I do know.
1: You do know. Yep. All right.
0: Okay, then but what? Uh, well, you were going to say something. Go ahead. I'm going to change the subject. So, get it on. I was going to
1: change the subject, too. All right, you first. I was going to say the film was nominated for two Golden Globes. Yes. For in 1980 or the 1989 Golden Globes, Best Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, and Best Performance by an Actor in a Motion Picture, Comedy or Musical, Robert De Niro. Your favorite, uh, yes. Charles Grodin did win an award at the Valladolid International <laughs> Film Festival, wherever that is. Yes. <laughs> and uh, it would won in the top ten films of the year in the National Board of Review. Yeah, yeah your turn
0: <laughs> no, no no i you know i think some of the um uh you know ebert uh i think um he calls it a comic thriller uh i i didn't get so many thrills out of it uh as just action and cop cars, but but I think he points out in his review uh, something that really sticks with that that we've already talked about, but the the fact that um, you know it's it's he says quote it's rare for a thriller to end with a scene of genuinely moving intimacy. Uh, yeah. but this one does and and I think that's really true the movie uh it ends up it ends up paying off in some really interesting places uh places that i just I, you know sequences that i I don't expect even after you know having not watched it in uh in many years i i found myself genuinely surprised by the the more sort of emotional moments that that come throughout the film and and end up making some of the goofy stuff uh tolerable uh how to do in the in ye old box
1: office, it did uh, pretty well. I see it had a budget of thirty million. Uh, somewhere I saw that they spent about fifteen million on prints and advertising, uh-huh. so about forty-five million dollars. It made domestically uh, about thirty-eight million, internationally about forty-three million, so about eighty, almost eighty-two million total. So you know, it made its money back.
0: And I, uh, I note you have uh, updated the uh, cost. Per minute breakdown. This I how certainly does it, have tonight. Run
1: on our list of films falls at number thirty, having made a per minute. It was a uh, let's see, hundred and twenty-seven minutes long. It made two hundred eighty-eight thousand two hundred ninety-six dollars per minute.
0: Is that did that surprise you at all?
1: Not really, I guess. Was there uh, anything know, surprising I, I, about I that? never thought of it as like a huge moneymaker. I never thought of it as a big box office loser. It just kind of seemed like one of those fair to Midland sort of movies as far as how it fared at the box office.
0: I, I, you, This is not obviously uh, adjusted for release date. Uh, no, yeah,
1: none of these numbers of these have been are adjusted, adjusted for So
0: it's hard um, to compare. It, but our ranking is, uh, it's interesting to me that you get movies like Bull Durham that that you know it beat bull durham just barely
1: yeah uh, it came out the same uh the same summer
0: yeah uh although B- bull well, durham not was a shorter minute. film so hence right. it made more money at the bottom right. or it
1: made more money per minute
0: yeah uh i f- i found that interesting all the president's men uh these movies that i i sort of hold up on a little bit of a higher platform uh that were of the same or earlier period ended up doing not as not as well as this film so that's that's something yeah. All
1: right.
0: What else you got? You got another thing?
1: Um, you know, I had another thing and I closed my tab. Um, um I I you know, just real quick though, Martin Brest who directed this. Yeah. Um, very strange uh, career, a guy who hasn't really done a whole lot of films. Um, he his first feature I believe was uh 79 Going in Style. I think he did a couple of shorts before that. Um, then Beverly Hills Cop in 84, Midnight Run in 88, Son of a Woman in 92, Meet Joe Black in 98, and then the poor guy wrote and directed Gigli in uh, 2003, or Zigli, however you say it. Yeah. Um, the horrible bomb that, um that really i i don't i don't know if i could say it, it killed his career but it seems to have killed his career he hasn't done anything in 10 years um i did read somewhere that he said that you know making films was never that interesting to him and uh, that he's just directing commercials now i don't know if that's that's rumor or what have you but uh, that's what i i heard and and considering his last film was uh <laughs> such a bomb and before I... that meet joe black
0: Yes. I did you you you, you saw
1: Geelie?
0: I Gigli? didn't see it. Gigli? you didn't. It's uh, it, well it's fascinating. I you so saw I'm on the IMDb page. You, you read the uh uh the description of the film? I it really describes it. I had never read uh read it put quite this way. The violent story about how a criminal lesbian, a tough guy hitman with a heart of gold and a retarded man came to be best friends through a hostage. Wow. Well There's just not. There I mean, go. there's just uh, like that's it, that. I think that insults everybody.
1: Like I, every
0: stereotype I, that that is, uh, uh, that is in this film is is insulted in that one sentence. It sounds pretty terrible. It's doesn't terrible. It? Uh, yeah, that's kind of. It, I don't know. It's kind of unfortunate because you know, I I actually um I did like meet Joe Black uh and said of a woman I I liked quite a bit.
1: I never saw all of Meet Joe Black. I wasn't very impressed with what I saw, and it certainly really did not do well at the box office. No, it, it was a didn't. big, big failure. Um, but you know, it does have a lot of fans. It has a lot of people who really enjoy it. And So, yeah. you know, more power to them.
0: No, I yeah, I didn't. I didn't love it, but I liked it. I I watched it. I, I have it. Uh, but but where do you stand on *Son of a Woman*? That's kind of a classic. I like it. It's not a, It's not your favorite.
1: It's it's there. It's uh, you know it's one of those movies that I've never quite gotten into, like other people have gotten into. I can certainly appreciate it, but uh, yeah, I, I just find it uh, you know it's it's there.
0: All right. I'm a little sorry to hear you say that. I wish yeah. you'd be more effusive on the the film. Uh, but uh, no, I think it's uh, I I thought it was a great movie, and I th- so that I think is uh, you know that's is this is the. Uh there's got to be a new uh, a new word in there that we're we need to coin for for these directors who are inspired and then disappear. Yeah,
1: just I kind of uh drops off the there. map. And
0: of course, Beverly Hills Cop again. That a, a t- that's a classic in the genre. And um sort of speaks for itself.
1: Yeah. Right. Did you know this is this is my little thing that I I just found again. The Taxi Driver who at the very end of the film uh won't give Jack uh, Walsh a ride as he's leaving the airport because he doesn't have, he only has thousands as I recall right
0: mm-hmm. yeah, and need, do you the have smallest change for bill a is a thousand yeah.
1: and, and the taxi driver drives off right. that taxi driver was in the movie Taxi Driver with De Niro playing a taxi driver <laughs> <laughs>
0: He was also in The Untouchables, and he was never touched once.
1: <laughs> yeah, no one touched him. <laughs> uh,
0: it, it, there are two other casting, uh, p- potential casting uh, bits of gossip uh, are, that surround this movie that I think are interesting. You know, We already talked about what it would have been like if uh, Robert De Niro had ended up in, in Big. Uh, oh, yeah. In, yeah right. in this one. Uh, you know, they at at one point were looking at uh, changing up the gender role of the Duke character and Cher was in talks to be uh, uh, to to play the Duke character, uh, uh, which d- did not uh, end up working out. Uh, but then they offered uh, and had talked to uh, Robin Williams about taking on the role opposite of uh, De Niro. Uh, that, you know, that one's a, a more compelling um pairing but uh I I really uh, this is one of those casting discussions where I think they just nailed it with Charles Grodin.
1: Yeah, so, yeah, I definitely yeah. think so. And you know, it was only um what was it? A couple years later that would have been uh, 2 years later that Robert De Niro and Robin Williams did pair up together. Yes. Um, two <laughs> Do you <years> remember? Later? <laughs> it was nominated for Best Picture. Robert De Niro was nominated for Best Actor.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Oh, man. Why can I picture it and not think This is this one is. of those movies
1: I can remember the, the poster and I don't remember a single thing about the movie. It was Awakenings.
0: Awakenings, awakenings.
1: Yeah. With the. Uh, Oliver Sacks, based yeah. on Oliver Sacks' uh, book.
0: Man. See, when I, the reason, this is the problem, because this was not, um, when, okay, when I think of Awakenings, I think of the one where he was the clown. Uh, oh,
1: Jack, uh oh, what's that one called?
0: Where he had the nose thing? Yeah. uh What was that?
1: It's not Jack. Jack is the one where he ages really quickly. Right. It's uh, Bicenta- Patch
0: Adams. Bic- Bicentennial Man. No. <laughs> it's Patch Adams. <laughs> I know. I uh, know you liked Bicentennial Man, though, right?
1: Uh, you know. <laughs>
0: All right. Enough about that. So, anyhow, uh, it, it was uh, that is interesting. It could have. Been, so, I'm glad they glad the gents got to work together, uh, even though the movie was also rather unremarkable.
1: Yeah, clearly, since I don't remember a single thing about it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. Good
0: film. Uh, final uh, final thoughts.
1: You know, I. For me, revisiting this movie, I really found myself uh, just loving it that much more. And I would say that it's it's one of those films that I would love to, you know, keep watching again and again because I just I found it so enjoyable and I really love the characters. And oh, it just makes me want more Charles Grodin in more movies.
0: the is that that is absolutely my my lesson in this film is I I learned that I miss Charles Grodin greatly uh he is fantastic in this film and uh i i regret a little bit that this i feel like my memory has been violated uh, about this movie um it, i really quite like it uh but i, I you know i stand by my my uh, initial impression that this film is a film that celebrates supporting cast and at the expense of uh our protagonist uh, robert de niro um uh Pantaleano and, and uh, Grodin Groden are real highlights for me. Yeah. That's it. That's what I got. Alright, so uh now you, you know where I stand on the movie and I know where you stand on the movie and I think we need to probably flick chart this baby.
1: Alright, let's do it. Let's do it. Alright. Go ahead. Midnight Run or Sweeney Todd? Sweeney Todd. Midnight Run. Really? Yeah I just I I really enjoy it. That much? I did, well, for Sweeney Todd.
0: Sweeney Todd, much? <laughs> they eat people. Andy, how does that compare with Midnight Run, an action comedy?
1: <gasps> oh, you know, I, I think people. I could go with Sweeney Todd on this one. I I really do enjoy both of the films quite a bit. I mean, I'm talking about two movies I like. So yeah. yeah. Uh, You know, I'll I'll go with Sweeney Todd. I'll give you that one.
0: All right. So I'm ready to to give. I'm feeling flexible. (laughs) Go ahead.
1: Midnight Run or Clute?
0: I'm really interested in what you think of this.
1: I was going to say Midnight Run. Midnight Run or Prometheus?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Midnight Run.
1: It's totally Midnight Run. Yeah, it's Midnight Run. Prometheus had so many problems. It had a lot of problems. It does,
0: man. I was. This was. I thought this was going to be harder. Go. Oh, uh,
1: this is a really funny poster that came up for Midnight Run. It's in Spanish. Guida a medianoche. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What, uh, what are right. we doing? Midnight Run or Alien Three? Hmm. I'm still
0: doing Midnight Run. I would see if I were doing this alone. I would probably say Alien Three, but I'm. I'm feeling. I'm feeling gracious. Go ahead. Midnight right. Run. I'm not a, I'm not going to fight Mid- that one.
1: Midnight Run or Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade.
0: <sighs> You're probably I have,
1: to, I have to go Indiana Jones.
0: Really? Yeah. Oh good. I was trying to come up with my argument as to why <laughs> that uh, I'm glad. No, it's it's Indiana Jones. It's I Indiana mean, Jones. It's yeah. it's
1: hard to put it on top. What of if that. it had been Crystal Skull? Midnight Run or Driving Miss Daisy? Driving Miss Daisy. There's such different films, but... uh, Substance. uh, It's about substance. Yeah, Driving Miss Daisy. I I think I would agree with you that. So it's 36 out of 63.
0: That feels about right. Nice little
1: uh, palindromical (laughs) (laughs) result. (laughs) I just made that word up. I think you did. So, cool.
0: Yeah, good job. You done?
1: That's it. Yeah, I've hit it all.
0: All right. So I'm going to talk to you uh, another time
1: all right man all right good night then (laughs) okay fine you don't have to get (laughs) mean. don't make me pull out my f (laughs) my f-word uh something i i lost it there and flop
0: i've been podcasting since 2006